Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. So I've been doing a little game of sorts with uh, the students this weekend, talking about the different energy that flows from Impact Weekend through the different sessions, right? So you have what's called Friday night energy. Teenagers just finished their week of school. They're kind of tired. They're excited, but they're not in the, in the whole groove of the weekend yet. So I ask them how they're doing, and they're like, yeah, yeah. They're kind of excited, kind of tired, still mad they got a 40 on the math test early today, but they're making it past it, you know, step by step. So that's Friday night energy, right? Then we have Saturday morning energy. So this is whenever the energy's starting to pick up a little bit more, you know, they stayed up till 2 a.m., you know, doing weird games, and, you know, they're all looking at the same boys and girls from the different sides of the other youth group on Instagram all late at night, right? Don't worry, I'm not going to tell on y'all. Um, and so they're, they're excited that next morning. They're tired but caffeinated, which is always good for a couple energy hours. And so you ask them how they're doing, and they're like, yeah, they're even more pumped. And then Saturday night energy comes. They're more excited. They're just hyped up. They just threw dodgeballs at each other's faces for three hours. They are pumped. They had dinner, so now they have sustenance to drive that energy. I ask them how they're doing. Boom, it's even higher. But now, here's the test. Sunday morning energy. How are we feeling? And that's even higher than it was last night. So great job, students, man. Uh, Church, I just want to encourage y'all with something that I'm sure you guys know this, but I want to encourage you in this as well. I have a friend who always says this, and I was like, man, that's good. I need to start saying it as well. But these students right here are not the church of the future. They are the church today. They are a part of your church. They are an integral part of who Coastal Oaks is. This is a part of your church. They're not the church of the future. Really, the church of the future are those who do not know Jesus that we're reaching out to. So do not view them as, oh, they're just the little ones, and then maybe one day they'll become the part of the church. No, they are the church now, and they are crushing it, man. These teens, they love Jesus. They want to serve Jesus more. They want to love him more. And so what you guys can do to help them in that is pour into their lives. They need these older, more mature believers in the faith to pour into them. So I'm going to go ahead and give the pitch for Billy right now. Serve your students well. Pour into them well. Uh, and I promise the impact that you'll make in their lives is something that will ripple on throughout eternity. Just as he's talking about how there are some students or some leaders there who were students that are now leading, that process continues. It's a discipleship cycle that changes a church, town, state, nation, world, quite literally. Um, But man, I'm just so excited to be here. I want to say thank you to Pastor Billy, Pastor Andy, and Pastor Chris uh, for allowing me to be here, Um, especially considering that they did not really know who I was before this. They knew that I knew Marianne, which I guess around here, that's that's like, it's worth its weight in gold. Um, (laughs) She's like my second mom of sorts in a lot of ways. Um, Grew up knowing them, amazing family. Uh, But especially to be able to come up here on a Sunday morning and preach to you guys, man, what amazing trust that is. And so I just want to thank you, all the pastors, the staff here for allowing me to be here this morning. Uh, Man, I'm just so excited to bring the word this morning. We're going to be in Isaiah 6. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, You can unlock and slide in your phone there as well, or you can just look at the screens behind me. 
and we'll walk through this together. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I think God has a, a very clear picture of the gospel here in this passage in the Old Testament. Um, and it's just something I'm excited to look at together this morning. Um, before we dive in, we're going to pray because here's the deal. If I go forward without praying, I'm going to mess it up, okay? It always happens. And so I'm saying I'm never going to do that again. So we're going to pray right now um, so that God's word would move forward, that we would learn something, be challenged, convicted, and ready and fired up to keep on living for Christ. So would you please pray with me? Jesus, we love you, and we are thankful for you, God. I just pray that you would continue to move as you have moved this weekend. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room who does not know you, that this morning would be their morning where they come into relationship with you. Um, God, we trust where you are leading this church, your church, God. Um, and so we just pray that you would show us something new this morning, um, that you would challenge us. God, I pray that you would make me small so that you could be seen more clearly um, and that you would not let any of these words come from me, but in your spirit through me, God. Um, Show yourself big. Allow us to look more like you leaving this place and how we looked when we first entered. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so Isaiah 6 is where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to talk about all of the fun stuff, starting with sin. Yay, right? We're going to talk about sin. Awesome. How fun. We're going to talk about how the sin entangles us. We're going to talk about the process of becoming pure. We're going to talk about confession, another fun topic, and repentance. And it's going to be an amazing time in God's word. And so if you have a Bible in chapter six, we're going to start in verse one and we're gonna read verses one through verse four. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him and they each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet and with two, they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. If we are ever going to be able to understand the depth of our sin, the grossness of our sin, the brokenness that we have inside of us, the brokenness that we are, we need to start with a good reference point. And that reference point for understanding your sin can't be your neighbor down the road. The reference point for your sin can't be the politicians on the other side of the political aisle as you. Understanding the reference point for your sin needs to be God. The more you understand God, the more you understand how broken you are and how much you need him. So let's look at what Isaiah is describing here to understand who this God is. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, pause. King Uzziah was the king in this land at the time. He reigned for a long time, and he was a good king, and he was in control. And what do we find here? King Uzziah was dead. He died. Imagine what would happen if our political figures died. Would we not be in turmoil? Would it not be crazy? Would we not be running around like, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's going on? The king is dead. The whole country is in turmoil. What's going on? There's so much confusion. Who's going to take over next? What if we get invaded by a foreign country? What's going to happen? What is going down? And what do we see God is doing? Surely he is running around frantically, pacing his hands back and forth. What, we, what am I going to do? Oh my gosh, King Uzziah died. No, we see, I saw the Lord seated. As if to say, I'm not worried. I'm certainly not shocked. 
I certainly have not lost control in this moment. No, I am still God, and my position as God, my power as God, my control as God is not changed based upon the circumstances that you are living through right now. I am still God. I am still mighty, high, and lifted up, seated on my throne. Huge turmoil in this time. Anxiety is filling the hearts of the kingdom, and in the midst of this, God is seated. He's not worried. He's not frantically pacing back and forth. He is seated. Friends, in the midst of your turmoil, in the midst of your crazy, in the midst of your brokenness, in the middle of your life situations, God is seated. In the midst of your job troubles, in the midst of your marriage troubles, in the midst of your family troubles, in the midst of your school troubles, in the midst of any troubles you might be experiencing, God is seated. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. He hasn't lost control. And he hasn't stopped being good. He is still God. He is still greatly to be praised. And he is still holy. I don't want us to miss the grandeur of God in this passage. So as we keep on reading in verse 2, it says, Seraphim were standing, or no, before we get to there, the second half of verse 1, it says, And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Can you imagine that? The hem of his robe, the very bottom of the garment that he is wearing, the furthest thing from his face even, the hem of his robe is enough to fill this temple. How big must this God be? How powerful must this God be? How mighty must he be that even the hem of the robe is enough to fill this temple? How unlike you and me must he be? The hem of my jeans barely cover the top of my shoe. His hem of his robe fills The temple, who is this God? How mighty is this God? How majestic is this God? How unlike us is this God? The grandeur of God in this moment is insane to imagine. Verse two, seraphim were standing above him. Now each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and with two they covered their eyes. And one called to another, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Seraphim are the highest ranking angels in the kingdom and they're flying around God. But even their position as high ranking angels, they, do still, they still do not get to be on the same level as God. Why do we know that? Well, with two, they cover their face. They cover their eyes. They cannot look upon this God for he is too holy. With two, they covered their feet because they could not walk on the same ground in which God walks in because they're not holy enough to be in the presence of God. And with two, they flew because, well, if you can't walk, you got to be up, right? And they're flying around God, and they're calling to one another, and all they can say is this one word, holy, holy, holy. They're in the presence of God all the time, so surely what they say about him must be true because they see him all the time. And what can they not get past holy? Holy, holy, set apart, set apart, set apart, different, 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 not like me, not like me, not like me is this God. His glory fills the whole earth. They can't get past that idea of holy. Who is God to you? Do you view God as this holy, holy Holy God, who is so unlike you, or is he the big man upstairs? Who is he? 
Is he this God that you do not deserve to stand in the presence on based on your own actions? Or is he some guy that you might pray to every now and then? Is he this holy, holy, holy God that even the angels can't look upon them? Or is he someone we forget to spend time to because we're too busy carrying out our own things? Who is this God to you? Because what I see in Isaiah is a God that oftentimes I forget in my own head when I think about who God is. He is holy, holy, holy. Move to verse 4. I mean, this is insane. The picture that is here is wild. I know we might be used to this text, but I pray that we will never get over this text. I know we've probably heard this text, that we've read this text, but I pray that we would not stop putting ourselves in the position of this text to understand what this text is saying. Not that the text is about you, because it's not, but that it could show something to you through it. What is it so about God right here? It says, the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. The loudness of their praises to God was enough to set off an earthquake in the temple. Imagine the decibel of sound that is being portrayed right here. Smoke was starting to fill the temple, so they could not even see God anymore. His glory is in this place. The foundations are shaking. Smoke is rising. Holy, 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 over and over again. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with the glory of this God. Could you imagine being there? What I would not give to be in the position of Isaiah right now, seeing this holy God. Could you imagine being there? What would you feel? What emotions would be stirred? I mean, surely you would be on fire, hands raised, jumping up and down. Yes, yes, yes. The picture I would like to show you guys today is that that's probably not the posture that you would be in. The reason why I can say this is because I see the position that Isaiah responds in. Because he's there, and he's seeing this. And how does he respond in verse 5? Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. Uh, Another way of saying that is I must be silent before God right now. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies, the first response that we see from Isaiah is that he is broken. Why? Because he gets a clear picture of God. And in seeing God, he not only sees God, but he sees himself. And how short he falls in the light of this God. He's not jumping up and down. He's not running all around. He is not going crazy. He says, I must be silent because I see this God. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King. May we not lose that picture that understanding of I'm broken before God. I am so much not like God. God does not exist to serve me or what I want him to do. I must exist to serve God. 
without my disagreements, without my motives, without my agendas, without, it doesn't matter what I would like for God to do. What needs to change is my heart towards what God is doing. Because he is this holy, holy, holy God. We fall short. We are broken. The people we live with are broken. Our sin should devastate us. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin holds us back from sharing the gospel. May I ask you a question this morning? I'm going to ask you a lot of questions this morning. My heart is not to shame you. My heart is not to convict you. Romans 8 is clear. There is no shame for those, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But let me ask you a question this morning. When was the last time your sin devastated you? That you were broken over your sin? Weeping over your sin. Or have we grown to a point of accepting our sin? Marianne has a phrase she likes to use, petting your sin. Have you grown used to your sin? Have you grown a cold heart in regards to your sin? Have you fed your sin? Or are you devastated and broken over it? We see Isaiah in this moment is absolutely broken. If we ever want to understand how much of a good God God truly is, we need to understand how bad we are by nature how undeserving we are of God's love by nature, how no matter the length that God went through to save us, we see that sacrifice, we see what he's done for us, and we still turn and we still sin and we still go against him, we still go our own way, our hearts are prone to wander. We all know this, but sometimes we don't think about this or we don't maybe believe it. We know it, but we don't believe it at times. We are broken people that stand before a holy God. May we not forget this. We see Isaiah confessed his sins. What a concept. When was the last time we've confessed our sins to God? When's the last time we've confessed our sins to others? We see he didn't only confess his sins, but he confessed the sins of his people. Friends, if we are ever going to live a pure lifestyle, we must confess our sins before God regularly and to each other. And so we all understand the point behind confessing our sins to God, right? I mean, 1 John 1, 9 clearly lays out that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So confession to God, what does it do? It brings forgiveness. If you are a believer in Christ today, that you have confessed that you are a sinner to him, that you believe in your heart that he is Lord and Savior, that he forgives you of the weight of your sin so that when God looks at you now, he no longer views you through the lens of your sin, he views you through the lens of his son. We get this. Do we know the importance of confessing to others? Because I think we do a pretty good job of confessing our sins to God. I think oftentimes we forget the importance of confessing sin to others around us. Because what if they know that I'm a broken sinner? (gasps) Newsflash, we all are. Really, confession should come easy to those who know that their sins have already been paid for. Confession gets significantly harder when we forget to realize that that sin that we are going through has already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. 
But why do we confess our sins to others? Well, we confess to others because confession to others brings healing. If you look at James 5, 16, it says, Therefore, confess sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, positionally, when we confess to God, we are forgiven of our sins. But if we don't confess to others, it's hard to experience and walk through healing of sins, moving past sins, breaking down sin strongholds because you're not walking in accountability and in the community that God's put around you as if to say that I need God, but I don't need the church. That's really the point of the church. First off is to help us love Jesus more, to help spur each other on to live a pure lifestyle, to help each other grow and be used by God, and then also to reach out to the community who needs to know about God and bring them in. But so often, we think that we can just rambo ourselves through our Christian faith and just do it by ourselves, and I'm by myself. I don't need the church. And we really think, we fool ourselves into believing that we need God and we love God, but we don't really need his bride. The church. Like, I'm, I'm cool with God, but I'm not cool with doing everything that the church suggests that I need to do. Confession to others. For example, my wife is here, Zoe. She's awesome. She's my favorite person in this whole world. And um, I, I've heard other speakers throughout the years call, like, I have one friend I can think of. He calls his wife HSJ, Holy Spirit Junior. I always thought, like, haha, that's kind of cute. <laughs> Then I got married, I'm like, nah, that's facts. That's exactly what that is, man. <laughs> like, Zoe is a mirror for me to see how jacked up I am. Um, she does it in love, though. But if someone were to come up to me and be like, yo, I love you, and I think the work you do is great, but your wife, I could do without her. You think you're still gonna be cool with me? <laughs> no, we got problems, friend. We can't say, I love God, I want to confess to God, I want to be with God, but the church, man, I'll come maybe once a month, and it's kind of important, but I don't really need to confess, I really don't need to serve, I really don't need to do everything that I'm supposed to do in church, because, you know, it's not God, it's his bride. We can't neglect the church, friends. And confession to one another is one of the most important things we do within the body of believers. Christ has made you with a drive and a desire and a need to be in community. And the community that church brings is so much more different than any community anywhere else can bring. Why? Because in our world today, we believe in this thing called cancel culture. If I do something wrong, I can just cancel you and you're gone. In the church, there is no such thing as cancel culture. Instead, what there is is forgiveness, and there's confession of one another, and there's grace, and there's healing, and there's mercy that's found in here. And to think that we can go through church, really claim to be a Christian, really claim to be a Christ follower, a member of a church, and not confess, that doesn't separate us from the church. So really, the question is, why are we here? We're not going to be real with each other. Because if we're not careful, there becomes no different no difference between a church and just a social club. And if all we are is a social club, then why would anyone else want to become a part of this? What's the difference? You mean you tell me I got to give up 10% of what I make and not sleep in on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings? And, oh, yeah, let's sign up for that. No, there needs to be something different about the church, something deep and rich about the church, something powerful about the church, something encouraging about the church. We cannot look like the rest of the world and expect the rest of the world to come join us. 
But if we stand out, and if we're real with each other, and if we're vulnerable with each other, and we're honest with each other, and we confess sins to each other, and we experience grace from each other, and that grace that we experience from each other is just a mirror that points us to the even amazing more grace that God gives us. If we experience that, we walk in community, we grow together, the world will not be able to stay out of it. They will run to us. But instead, we divide over every little thing. We can't do that, friends. It's the bride of Christ. It's important. Church is important. We need to confess our sins to each other. Confess to God so that we'll experience forgiveness. Confess to others and we will experience healing. There's no reason why a Christ follower, member of a church, should be living through the same sin for years and years and years without ever experiencing freedom in that. But you will not experience freedom in sin if you're not bringing others into accountability with you. We must repent of our sins to be saved by God, continually repent to walk with God and be purified. And let me remind you of something right here, friends. You cannot purify yourself. You cannot. You need Jesus. Think about this. If there was any other way for you to have a relationship with God outside of Jesus, then is Jesus really necessary? Like, if you could work to God on your own, do enough good deeds, tithe enough, go to enough Bible studies, attend community group or life group, or, you know, every church has a different term for that. If that could get you saved, is Jesus needed? You get where I'm going with this. The fact that Jesus left heaven and came down to earth proves that we needed him to do that because we could not get into a relationship with God apart from Jesus. You need him. He's not someone that tags along with you. He's not someone that you keep by your side and you spend some time with on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and before you go to sleep, you go, that now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep her. That's not the only thing that we need Jesus for. You need Jesus to experience life. He puts the very breath in your lungs that you use to turn against him with. He has the grace that allows you to walk in rebellion against him and he still calls you in. He still brings you in. He still gave his life as a sacrifice for you knowing what you would do. Why? Because he loves you. How could we not be drawn in by such a God? He's holy, holy, holy. So different than anything you can ever experience on this earth. He is worthy of your praise. He is worthy of your worship. He just is. So what happens next? Verse 6. So before we get there, you're in Isaiah's spot. You see all of this going down. It's crazy. And you see this holy, holy, holy God. And the ground beneath you shaking. <laughs> There's smoke everywhere. You got a cough and you're seeing it, and you, your eyes are watering. The smoke got in your eye. And you're, woe is me. I see God. I see the king. And then check this out. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. I don't know about you. When I read that, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I'm in trouble now. Like, when I was a kid, I would talk all the time in class. Like, if you are a public school teacher right now in this room, I just want to say you deserve, like, a 400% raise because I don't know how y'all do it because I remember who I was 
and I sub now, and I see a lot of me's running around there, and I just got to make it to like 4.30, and I'm good. Y'all got the whole year. So, man, a whole lot of props to public school teachers. But I remember when a teacher would kind of walk up to me, and like I know that I'm not doing something I should be doing, and they're kind of walking up, and, and my heart's like, like I already know that teacher's already called my mom to let her know that I did something wrong. You know, and it's like five seconds after I've done something wrong, right? You know what I'm saying? And there's just this weight feeling of, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I'm going to get this punishment. And, like, I know I deserve this punishment that I'm getting, right? Like, I know it's going to be bad. I know I deserve it. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be the worst thing. But then check this out. Like, if that, if a seraphim alone flying up to you is not enough for that, look what happens next. In his hand was a glowing coal that he pulled from the altar with tongs. So now he's flying up to you. You can't see his eyes. You can't see his feet. And he's flying with the wings on his back. And he's coming up to you with a glowing tongue. That's even scarier. Because what he's going to do, he's going to throw that, that coal at you, ping, hit you in the head, and you're done. You know what I'm saying? This is a scary moment for me when I read this. And in verse 7, he touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah, seconds before this, is broken before God, knowing he deserves to be taken out, knowing he deserves death, knowing he deserves this punishment he's receiving. And the seraphim's flying up to him with the glowing tongue. He just knows it's coming. And what does he receive instead of what is fair? He receives this forgiveness. He receives the removing of his sins. What an amazing moment this has to be. Some of us in the room have experienced a similar feeling. You see, Isaiah, his sins were forgiven through a burning coal. Our burning coal moment was the death of Jesus and his resurrection. In the same way that a glowing coal atoned for his sins, the work of Jesus has atoned for your sins, all of your past sins, the sins you are currently committing, and the sins you will commit leaving this parking lot. Jesus has paid for it all. He's forgiven you of your sins. After your sins are forgiven through salvation, then what we see next is that Jesus calls you to live out of faith for him. I think sometimes we experience this forgiveness moment and then we're like so excited about Jesus, which we always should be. And we're so excited about what God's done, as we always should be. And naturally, we want to start learning more about who this God is. Right, so what do we do? We, we start attending Sundays more often, right? Apart from just it's necessary for you to be a part of a church, but also you want to know more about this God because, oh my gosh, you just saved me and I don't deserve this and I love you and I want to be with you, so I'm going to church. And then you go to a Bible study as well. And then you plug into a life group team and then you start reading all of these amazing Christian books with amazing insights and you're just, your head is getting filled with so much knowledge about this God and, and the more you taste God, the more you want to see God, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. So you're tasting, tasting, tasting. You're seeing, seeing, seeing and it's like you're at Golden Corral but like for Jesus, you know what I'm saying? And it's an amazing moment. But what we need to be careful of is sometimes we get so much head knowledge and our hands don't follow behind it. God hasn't saved you just so that you could know more about him. He has saved you so that you would know him and so that he could use you. Head knowledge leads to heart belief, which should move to hand work. God wants to use you. How can I know this is true? Verse 8. 
Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. And I was talking uh, with some of the leaders of this church after the service, and he was like, I've never seen it like this before. And I loved how this much energy he had. He was like, because he was like, here I am, send me. I want to do it. I want to do it. That's the mentality. Sorry for the carpet. That's the mentality that we should have when an opportunity to serve comes up. I explained it like this. I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. Go Cowboys, America's team, it's God's team. If you came up to me after service and said, hey, I got a seat for the Cowboys game. Like, I got you tickets. You know what I'm not going to ask? Well, where's an app? <laughs> I'm saying, can I get it right now? Can I go to the game right now? Let's go. Let's go to this game. I want to go see this game. Or if someone gonna came up to me and goes, I got Mavericks playoff tickets against the Suns. Well, we're going to beat the Suns in four. Just kidding. Uh, but you want to go? Dude, I am there. I don't care where you put me. Dude, I don't care if I don't even get to watch the game. If, you're, if the, the ticket is just sit in the concession stand and watch the TV, I still want to be in the building. How much more, if there's an opportunity to serve God, should we rush towards that opportunity? Isaiah did not say, well, what's, what's the ask? Like, what, what do you want me to do? He said, God said, we need somebody. Who's going to go for us? without knowing the conditions, without knowing the terms, without knowing the job, without knowing the time that it's going to spend pouring into it, without knowing the commitment. He said, here I am, send me. Because to be used by God to accomplish the works of God is something I want to be a part of without conditions. Church, what would happen in this city if we all adopted that mindset? I don't care what needs to happen. I just want to do it. I want to serve God. I want to be used by God. Friends, we don't have to serve. We get to serve. The very fact that a holy, holy, holy God could use broken individuals like you and me to advance his kingdom into this world and push back darkness is insane. That's how I know it can't be based on my works because, man, my works got me on a path heading to hell. His works are what saved me. His works are what saved others. And you said I get to be used by you, God? You get to use me to bring forth your message to people who you want to save. Who am I to turn that down? I don't care if it's scrubbing toilets, man. Let me do that for the Lord. I have done that. It's not fun. It smells bad. But man, you're being used by God in that. Can you imagine what would happen if we had a here I am, send me heart? What would change in your family if you had a here I am, send me heart and how you serve your family. Students, what would happen in your schools if you had a here I am, send me heart that when you walked to school, your number one priority wasn't doing a remake for the test you got a 40 on Friday night, but instead your mentality was who can I share the gospel with today? Adults, when you go to work, what if your biggest motivation was not can I get this done by this deadline, but rather who can I share the gospel with today? Who can I plant gospel seeds with today? What would happen in your family? What would happen in your neighborhood? What would happen in your schools? What would happen in your workplaces? What would happen in this community if we had a here I am, send me heart? Who knows? I mean, who knows what could change, really? I mean, God knows. But there's no telling what could happen. And there's no reason to think that it wouldn't happen. I mean, surely our God is still alive. And God changed you, so surely he can use you to change someone else. I mean, just imagine what this could be. 
my prayer is that we would all have a heart that would say, here I am, send me. But before we can get to here I am, send me, we need to drop the sin that we are experiencing. The more entrapped to sin that you are, the less you will be able to be motivated to be used by God. If you are running towards sin at a sprinter's pace, it's going to be much harder to turn around and pursue after God. You need to drop this sin that we should be devastated by. So here in a moment, I'm going to give us some questions. I'm going to ask you guys some questions for reflection time. I'm not sure if you can tell, but I'm like a pretty strong extrovert, right? I mean, whoa, <laughs> y'all just got like 30 minutes of like a big dude with a beard yelling at you. Um, but in my extroversion, uh, my wife is very introverted, and she has taught me the necessity of reflection. Sometimes I'll go throughout my whole day, never spend a moment in reflection. She says, well, how was your day? I'm like, uh, I don't even remember what I did. You don't remember what you did? You know, I didn't reflect on anything throughout the day. I was just moving, blah, 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 the next thing, next thing, next thing. And I don't want that to be the case with us right now. So we're going to have a time of reflection, a time of quiet, a time of thinking on what we just heard through God's word. I'm going to ask you some questions. These questions, while they may bring conviction, my heart is not to bring condemnation to you. My heart is not to bring shame to you, but we are going to have an honest time here. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And so where you're at right now, I'd like you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want you to think about these questions. I promise nobody's going to come up to you and like hit you in the nose when you bow your head and close your eyes. Like you're completely safe. You can do this. And there are security team members in here who are dope. <laughs> like they're awesome. You're, you're safe. So I'm just going to ask you guys right now a couple questions. I want you to consider it. Question number one, are you a child of God? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? The question I did not ask you was, have you been coming to church for a long time? The question I did not ask you was, have you been baptized before? And the question I did not ask you is, have you prayed a prayer of salvation? The question I asked was, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? You can go through the motions of those things without ever giving your heart to Jesus. Does Jesus have your heart this morning? 